Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Jeff Hansen, welcome back to the Ocean Protect podcast. <laughs> hey, Brad, it's good to be here. I got the brief. I'm wearing my Ocean Protect t-shirt, which I, I love. I wear it a lot. It looks good on you, actually, I must admit. It's a good color for me, yeah. actually. Yeah. You've been working out? Or? Uh, just, you know, getting ready for Tura Margaret River cycling road race. Really? Um, You're looking fit, actually. You're talking about, you know, diet, whatever, but there's there's no fat on you. You're, yeah, about two weeks away, I'll be 16 or 6 and heading down to Nanup for, yeah, can't wait. A good challenge. Everyone is on the Jeff Hansen Express train, is that right? Or, you know? Um, probably not the strongest in the team, but not not the weakest. So we'll see. Ah, <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, and look, we have had you on the podcast before, yeah. season three, episode thirty eight, back in twenty twenty one, which is actually almost two years ago to the date. Jeff Hansen on direct action. So if people want to can't get enough of the dulcet tones of Jeff Hansen, they can tune in and, and listen in. But yeah. we should recap a little bit. Jeff Hansen, what do you do for a job? Yeah, well, since 2007, I've been the managing director for Sea Shepherd Australia, and I'm also one of the global directors. So, yeah, for me, I never set out to be a director of any company, but as a kid, I just loved the natural world. My first love was dinosaurs. I couldn't have them as pets, so I moved to reptiles, and then, but through Sea Shepherd, I learned about the importance of the ocean. And I didn't even know whales still existed, little known they were still being hunted and harpooned yeah. and... And just that most of the air that we breathe comes from the ocean. And, yeah. you know, I always thought I'd be a wildlife vet specializing in reptiles or mm. working to help animals hurt from poachers in Africa. But the reality is nature's perfect. We just need to leave it alone and, and give it safe haven and protect its habitat. And that's how we can best look after the natural world. You, you, you wanted to be a wildlife vet, which is very noble. But in hindsight, do you really think you could actually achieve more in terms of protecting the health of nature? in any other role apart from the one you've got now? No, I don't. And I have been asked a number of times to go into politics and it's like... Really? I'm like, (laughs) no, I can have more impact here and I'm not going to be doing things that I don't have interest in. And, you know, when you think about it, protecting big-scale marine ecosystems, you know, end-to-end flow of nutrients where whales can migrate and fish can come through and sharks and whales and dolphins and penguins, like if you can protect those big-scale habitats, you're protecting countless lives. And when I think about, you know, nature is the most spectacular show on earth, and to stand there like, you know, the way that Sir David Attenborough narrates nature so well, 
to see that thriving and alive and to be part of protecting those areas, which we have many, many times, countless over. Mm. And, yeah, you can't, I can't think about being involved in a more effective organisation than what Sea Shepherd does, what we represent, what we're about. We're a committed bunch that's really, I guess, connected by a love of the natural world but a deep understanding of its ecological importance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and look, from my perspective, there is no organisation or anything even remotely close to being as effective as you guys are in terms of marine conservation. And it's incredible what you guys do with the limited budget and resources that you guys have. It's amazing. But just to clarify, we should clarify to listeners who may not be aware. So can you give people a snapshot of what the key sort of campaign or focus areas are of Sea Shepherd Australia? Yeah, well, over the years, we've been, you know, helped get the ships provisioned and ready to go down to Antarctica to stop Japanese whaling fleets, which we've now ended whaling in the Southern Ocean, is now a sanctuary for the whales. But then our, you know, funding and work here has also helped get our ships fueled and provisioned for Africa, mm. where we have eight government partnerships and then we've facilitated the arrest of over 80 illegal fishing vessels, mm. once again, protecting vast areas of marine ecosystems. But we looked at Sea Shepherd and went, well, you know, what are the key threats to the oceans and what are we doing about it? So the key threats are illegal fishing, ocean plastics and climate and any threats to vulnerable species. And so when we take on campaigns, they have to fit those key criteria. And in Australia, we're definitely like we've been successful in, you know, working with other groups and communities and Indigenous mob to see the world's biggest gas hub stopped from going through the world's biggest humpback whale nursery in the Kimberley. We've knocked out all big oil out of the great Australian bite, you know, home to one of the world's most significant southern right whale nurseries. We've stopped the Western Australian shark coal. We're working on, you know, off the east coast of Australia to see the nets and drum lines pulled out these indiscriminate killing devices off our coast that do nothing for public safety. And then our work with our cleanup crews right around the country, mm -hmm. you know, now we've, since 2016, we've hit over a thousand cleanups, 750 kilometers of coast clean, millions of trash removed, restoring habitat in locally, but also in remote places like Cocos Keeling Island, Christmas Island, up in Arnhem Land, working with Indigenous rangers, and I must say very proudly and humbly to work with Indigenous rangers in the Anadiliaqua rangers in the Groot Archipelago, working in, with the Dimaru Indigenous rangers, places like Jilpan, which we've just come back from, and cleaning up sacred country. It's sacred country to these Aboriginal people, especially like the Yongle people, very proud people of Australia such a rich culture there that plastic doesn't belong in their song lines, mm -hmm. you know, and for them to talk about how much it means for Sea Shepherd to come back time and time again instead of just a once-off thing. But also, this is critical sea turtle nesting habitat. I know the stories of where we've heard like, you know, Lisa Dix in Cocos and she's seen areas covered in trash or in, in Christmas Island and the turtles go past and go, well, we can't lay our eggs on that beach because it's got so much trash on it. Not only that, the plastic loading increases the temperature of that beach, which then impacts the sex of those turtle hatchlings. But to see after a massive effort from our volunteers where they're just exhausted, fatigued, going up flights of stairs, bags of trash, tons and tons of this stuff, and to come back the next day and see fresh turtle tracks, you know, a mother coming ashore to lay the eggs for the next generation, like that's just priceless. You know, you can't put a 
a dollar value on that sort of work. So there's a lot going on. And, you know, back to the Great Australian Buy, I mean, that's just, you know, we've knocked out big oil. We're now looking at a bigger protection piece in the Great Australian Bight that could see three to four million square kilometres, you know, in that region, but also seeing what we can do to help the Australian sea line because that's now being listed as endangered. So there's a lot going on. And it's really important that we continue that work in Australia because we're so passionate about our coasts. Mm. Australians want to see local action. They want to see boots on the ground. But then the goal is that that funding then helps also our global campaigns as well. Mm. The results are incredible. Any organisation or any business doing what you guys do for the resources would be like, I don't know, there's just no other organisation remotely comparable, if I'm honest. So as MD, you know, from your perspective, what's the secret sauce? What's, What's driving these incredible impacts, effectiveness. You know, you, you get all these volunteers busting their guts, doing incredible work, but it's certainly very challenging and tiring work. You've got a whole bunch of people, you know, going on boats and fighting illegal fishing for, you know, days, months, often potentially two years at a time. And you're keeping these people motivated or what, what, what's the secret? Yeah, I think there's a couple of points there, Brad, and you raised a very important one, which is, how do we do it on so little? Yeah. And I've been in government meetings where I've explained our work mm. and what we do and they turn around and go, there's no way that a government could do this on this sort of budget. Like it's just not possible. Most of our ship's uh, crew are unpaid. Mm. Our volunteers out there doing the cleanups mm. are unpaid. There's a 1,000 plus volunteers in the country. And, you know, like when Peter was chasing the thunder, a 110-day mm. chase at sea, And he asked the crew, look, we could be out here for many months. If anyone wants to get off, here's your time. And no one wanted to get off. And to me, that's another part of Sea Shepherd that isn't really told. And that's the human spirit. Mm. Like it's, it's a bond that, as you say, we have our, we have our logical family and our biological family. For many of us, our logical family is, you know, the Sea Shepherd crew, the volunteers out on the beach people coming together connected by a love of nature and a deep understanding of its ecological importance. But I think also they can see that even myself as the managing director, I run it from home. Mm. We don't have big offices. There isn't, you know, money being wasted. The money goes as much as we can to the front line to deliver the outcomes. And because we do deliver the outcomes, brings empowerment in a world that is really looking not too great down the line in terms of, you know, climate and fires and, you know, the overfishing and so many, you know, we're still cutting down old growth forests and native logging and all these things. And we just need to not get down about it, but get active. And when we get active and come together, we can deliver results. Mm. And that that's empowering. And the reality is like to know where we're headed and do nothing, that's radical. Yeah. We're not the radical ones. We're the ones out there. We're the conservative ones. <laughs> <laughs> but brass tax, like you talk about limited budget. What are we talking about? What's your operational budget for Sea Shepherd Australia? Yeah, we're about 3.8 million a year. And that- that's, you know, we've got about 15 staff uh, at the moment. And, you know, it's, if you were to compare us to other orgs that have a lot more staff and 10, 20 million a year. And we, we still want to be not huge in terms of staff, but we know that if we can raise more funding, 
you know, like one of our big goals now that we've got the Allen K vessel, which was thanks to a, an incredible donation from a family in the northern beaches of Sydney, gave us $5 million so we could purchase the Allen K. Our big goal for Sea Shepherd Australia is to raise the operational and running costs for that global vessel that's used to tackle illegal fishing. And that's about $4 million Australian that we, we want to mm. raise. And it's, it's a lot for the everyday punter, but there's foundations and donors out there and and companies where that would be like small change. So I think it's just about getting in front of the right people because I think the Sea Shepherd name and brand and there's trust in this country. I think what's missing is people don't realise how little funding we have. Yeah. And it's also, Brad, It's that's quite hard at times when because we have been so successful, (laughs) people often writing, ringing us every day why aren't you doing more about this and why aren't you doing that and can you help with this? And it's just like, if only people knew how relatively small we are, you know, because people think we're this big org with big offices and lots of staff and it's just not the reality. Can we talk about this difference between perceptions and reality? Like that's obviously clearly a major one. You yeah. know, you, you do this incredible work with a very limited budget, very limited number of staff really. So there's a perception that you guys are gigantuan and, and, you know, whatever. What are the other perceptions that people you think get wrong about that Sea Shepherd Australia? Yeah, there's a, a really interesting piece there and it can be the general public or a, a classic example was when we were trying to get our DGR charity status, which means that when people donate, they can claim it on their tax. So we've been going in Australia since 2007. We're a registered charity, but we didn't have that DGR status. And, and that really impacts us from getting the, the bigger donations. Mm. And so I met David Carter, who's the CEO of Austral Fisheries, and they've got a legal toothfish company in the Southern Ocean, and we were tackling illegal fishing. He thought we were a bunch of cowboys and we should be you know, locked up and you know, doing all sorts of silly things. But he met us and he was like, you guys are within two days of, of reaching the searching grounds, you found the most notorious vessel, the Thunder, wanted by Interpol. You began pursuit. He was like, you guys are pretty okay. You're, you're like normal, you're professional, you're respectful, making sure that we were, you know, had the right dialogue when mm. we were putting out stuff that was factually correct. He's like, okay, my perceptions on you has completely changed to the point that then they had a vessel leaving Norway en route to Mauritius and they joined in on the Thunder Chase. So we had two Sea Shepherd vessels and a commercial fishing vessel chasing this vessel wanted by Interpol. And then David went, well, maybe we want to get you your charity status. How can we help with that? And I said, well, we've had both Labor and Liberal governments block us from getting that charity status. They won't allow us to get it. And often it was because of our opposition to Japanese whaling. You know, it's seemed to be quite political and Japan in the past had lent on countries like the US to take away the charity status there. So we knew there was going to be, you know, Japan leaning on not Sea Shepherd, on Sea Shepherd not having it in Australia. And we knew that there was also Japan leaning on the Australian government to not allow our vessels come into port here. So there was definitely a political reason why we didn't have it in this country, but also that perception of, you know, who we are. Mm. So anyway, I got invited with David Carter to speak at two state liberal conferences and it was a bit like going into the lion's den in Western mm. Australia where David said, I guess I'm probably wondering what Sea Shepherd doing in the room and there was a look around the room of, yeah, what the hell is going on here? And then 
I spoke to the state reps and then there was the federal reps for the Liberal Party and one particular member almost fell off the chair when I entered the room. <laughs> and when I mentioned that we really want to get our charity status and I mentioned, you know, this is the work we're doing, he's like, well, you know, organisations that break the law shouldn't have charity status. Like, well, we don't break the law, we uphold the law. Mm. And explained a bit more about our work and then went and met with this particular politician. Then when we did our big clean-up in Arnhem Land and we had a, a screening, untrashing dual pan, he came to that screening and we had Indigenous rangers there from Arnhem Land and we also had you know, Aboriginal Noongar reps in the audience asking our Indigenous rangers, do you think what Sea Shepherd is doing in Arnhem Land is effectively reconciliation? And the Aboriginal rangers from Dimaru said, yes, yes, it is. And so then I spoke to this federal MP and he said, when are you in Canberra next? I said, I'm in Canberra next week. He said, all right, yeah, I'll see if I can tee up some meetings. And normally when I go to Canberra, I work out of Greens offices. I was working out of a federal member, Liberals office. He was setting up meetings. He was, you know, I was working out of the office and anyone they would meet that had a perception on Sea Shepherd that, oh, they shouldn't have charity says I shouldn't have that. You go, okay, well, let's, I'll bring you in. So I was brought in and he said, you guys should be locked up. And I said, well, this is who we are. Like we go out and we clean up beaches. Mm. We work with Indigenous rangers cleaning up sacred country and critical sea turtle nesting habitat. We have Interpol speaking highly of our work. We partner with governments to tackle illegal fishing, restoring the livelihoods of artisanal fishermen who have arrested over 80 illegal fishing vessels. We facilitate government science in the Great Australian Pipe. Mm. And they're like, ah, oh, well, you guys are actually doing stuff. Mm. You're not just online, mm. you know, signing petitions and doing advocacy, mm. you're actually out there doing stuff. I was like, yes, we are. Mm. And just I would always leave them with, you know, the, the importance of the natural world. And then, you know, lo and behold, we finally got our DGR charity status. And, and to me, I get so inspired by going into those sorts of environments because that's when the big change happens. Yeah. Because if you constantly go out and talk to the converted or those on your side, you yeah. can feel good about the world. Yeah. But it's a false reality. Yeah. The world's not like that. Mm. So, but we need more people on board this journey. They really care about the natural world and they give a shit. So, how did that change the financial position of Sea Shepherd Australia to get that charity status? Yeah. So, it hasn't really helped in terms of like lots of big donations. Mm. But the real driver for that was we had that donor in the northern beaches of Sydney, that amazing family. Mm. And in order for them to give us $5 million mm. to purchase a new vessel and have their name on it, which is the Alan Kay, they needed DGR. They needed the deductible gift recipient. Right. So it's the difference between that money or not. Oh, yeah. That's the difference. Wow. And there's been times in the past where we've had those phone calls where we haven't had it, where people have rang up the office and spoke to me directly and said, I've, I've got half a million or I've got a million here and I'd really like to give it to you guys, do you have deductible gift recipient right. status? And I'm like, I'm sorry, we don't. Right. And we've just, that money just goes somewhere else. But even for a, like an individual perspective, I know like when I've given money to you guys, it is a very useful tax deduction if you're giving a, a X number of dollars donation to you guys. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. if you give $20 a yeah. week, you know, $20 a month, there's, you know, $240 a year yeah. that you put on your tax return, mm. you know, to get a bit of extra money back. So absolutely, it's, impacts small and large donations. And it's worthwhile noting that you guys are completely reliant on individual private donations. Like I find that 
the most incredible thing. There's no government grants, there's no funding, there's nothing like that, is there? We did manage to get our first government grant, a Queensland oh, one. of course, yeah. with the uh, cleanup. Uh, at Morton. Yeah. And that was actually the government going, seeing the way that how rapidly we responded to the floods here in Queensland yeah. where there was just polystyrene everywhere and there was just so much trash. And the way that our team went, okay, we're onto it, let's go. Yeah. And, you know, under the leadership of Graham, I was Lord, on that cleanup. off we went and you yeah. were there, Brad. Yeah. And the government went, wow, would you guys be interested in some assistance if this happened again? And yeah. we're like, yeah, we, we, yeah. We, we'll take in yeah. we can get. <laughs> you know? And I think that's another thing is we are able to respond quickly. And it's money well spent as well. Like, and I'll never forget that over at Morton Island immediately after there was the 20-something or other floods. And, yeah, Morton Island is, a, what, 100K or so off the east coast of Brisbane. And obviously there's a whole bunch of pollution washed out of the urban environment of southeast Queensland and Brisbane. But to see so much polystyrene on the beaches of Morton Island so far away from that urban environment, I was it was – and it was little, tiny little pieces of styrofoam broken off from, I think, barges and pontoons in the Brisbane River and, and whatever. It was, I guess, heartbreaking in one sense, but to see the Sea Shepherd Australia volunteers led by the legendary Graham Lloyd just charging over there and picking up a whole bunch of pollution, basically, it was incredible. And it, to be honest, like it's, it's almost like selfishly heartwarming like to be involved in that community. And for me, the secret source is the people at Sea Shepherd Australia. You'll never meet a nicer bunch of people than a Sea Shepherd Australia you know, group of individuals. Everyone's just giving, happy. You know, I remember when I was at school, picking up trash used to be punishment. So you think, <laughs> well, would you want to do that and feel good about yourself? And it's It it's, becomes it's, addictive. Yeah. And I've done like, because yeah, my wife Marina used to, work um, with us with our plastic campaign and and uh, the team would often go out and do the, the nurdle hunt, the great nurdle yeah. hunt, these little tiny beads of plastic which are like, you know, not much bigger than a grain of, you know, about the size of a grain of rice. And once you go to a particular beach and see them and start looking for them, you get addicted to looking for them and you're like, yo, there's another one, there's another one. And, you, and I think that's what it becomes. You get so addicted to mm. these cleanups. And often our volunteers get out and raise funds and awareness. Mm. And the marine debris and the, and the beach cleanups, you know, protecting habitat, it really enables our volunteers to get their hands dirty. Mm. And it also brings down big perceptions and barriers in the community as well. Oh, yeah. Because they think, oh, I see shepherd this radical bunch, <laughs> rah, rah, and it might be in a quite a wealthy area mm. cleaning up a yep. waterway or a beach. And they go, Oh, well, that's not so radical, is yeah, it? You know, they, yeah, look pretty normal. There's, there's kids and <laughs> yeah. mums and dads yeah. involved and we're having a laugh and having a chat and talking about our weekend. Yeah. And, you know, I, I cycle and I found that's really good for my mental health. But sure. I think people coming together more, it's that whole slogan, act, belong, commit. Mm. So, you know, so act, you know, step out of your comfort zone, go and do something, belong to a group and commit to that group. And it's so good for mental health, mm. you know, to mm. get out and do those things. But it's also you've got to make sure somehow you fill your own cup every day because there's a lot of activism burnout. So sure. you've got to really be careful of that as well and still get out. And just enjoy nature, you know, enjoy the forests and enjoy the sky and the, the ocean and the, the amazing nature that is still out there and it's all around us. Mm. Um, rip out those non-native plants and put native plants in because mm. nature will come. Mm. Like we've planted all natives at home and people are blown away by what has come to our garden at home mm. 
you know, we've got a frog pond with motorbike frogs and western pygmy perch and, mm. you know, kookaburras and we've got, at the moment, we've got pink and greys nesting. It was meant to be for booble gals, but the pink and greys <laughs> moved in. We started off with one bobtail lizard who was going to be euthanized. That was 2009 we got him. He's going strong. There's now, you know, seven of them in the garden because he's, he's <laughs> got busy. We, we got him a girlfriend. And, and, uh, You're in the lizard matchmaking. And there's business. all these insects that come in our garden yeah. and we look them up with the kids. What's this? And, you know, oh, it's a cape snout moth. And, you know, because we yeah, see the cool. caterpillar and look what that looks like. But when you mentioned before about it's quite unique, um, the way that we are and, and what we do. And it was, we had Bob Brown come to one of our Sea Shepherd conferences, which we haven't had for a while because of mm. COVID, and which we get all of our, you know, our staff and all of our coordinators that run our volunteer groups around the country. And we get together and talk about where we're at and what we're working on. It's a great way to bring everyone mm. back together. And we have this thing on the ships when it's someone's birthday and you bring out a cake and there's this, you know, we, it's not like a happy birthday to you. It's like a this bashing on the tables and bashing on the walls and it's just this roar of pure human energy and wow. spirit. And it's just, it goes through you, you know. Wow. And we did that when Bob was there at, at our ship's base in Williamstown in Victoria and it was a couple of the crew's birthday and we had, you know, the ship's crew was there because the, the ship was in port, volunteers, staff, and it was just this deafening roar. And the whole place and it was just big happy birthday song and it was just deafening. Wow. And Bob turned to us and said, you don't get this anywhere else. Wow. You know, and for Bob Brown to say he'd, that. He'd know a few uh, groups, you know, yeah. Yeah, and his foundation is doing incredible work. Yeah. You know, and it's been yeah, a privilege to work, stand alongside Bob for press conferences, but also co-lead campaigns with him and learn so much from him. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But singing happy birthday aside, like, how do you... How do you guys manage, even you as an MD, like how do you manage the health and particularly the mental health of the people under you, like in terms of what under you, I mean, you know, collaborating with, you know, the volunteers, whether they be picking up trash in Julepan or on an illegal fishing campaign or trying to uh, campaign against shark nets, for example, and wherever. There are so many people geographically spread, real diversity, all facing their own unique challenges. 
But yeah, environmental burnout and anxiety is a big problem. And these people, I guess, probably know firsthand what the issues are and hence they're so motivated to do something about it. But Mm. still at significant risk of, of just burnout, anxiety, depression, coupled with the risks that come with their activities. How as MD are you trying to manage and mitigate that risk? I think there's a lot there. So us as an organisation, we realise we've got three core values. Mm. Impact, we want to have impact Mm. on the front line, but everything we do every day. Like what's the most impactful thing that I can do today for the organisation? And that can be a volunteer, that can be a staff member, or it can be a crew member on the front line. It can be a donor, a supporter. If I donate to Sea Shepherd, I want to make sure that's got impact. Mm. Connection, connection to First Nations, connection to country, to land, to sea, to each other, that we feel empowered by who we are and what we do, that, you know, that our victories are as much those on the front line as our donors and supporters. You know, it's we're all part of you know, like we take ownership in our football team's wins or mm. we'll take ownership in, in your ships, the, mm. you know, the Alan Kay, the, you know, the Ocean Warrior, mm. the Age of Union. And then kindness. Kindness is a big one. So be kind to each other, to the clients that we represent, the mm. whales, the dolphins, the sharks, right down to the krill. They're our clients that we represent. Mm. But also being kind to each other, to our staff, to our volunteers, to our donors, to our supporters, and kind to ourselves. And I think a lot of it comes down to also, you know, leading by example as well. So I've been very open and talking about my mental health issues. Mm. I struggled last year. I had to go on a mental health plan. Mm. And, you know, I had the staff saying as a man and as our leader to come out and say that, they were really inspired by the Mm. fact that I did that Mm. and I wasn't expecting that. And they said, we've got you back until you're back well again to be able to, you know, continue the fight because it does take its toll. Mm. But also I say, look, I don't care when you start work. If you want to go to the beach or walk the dog or go to the gym or do what you've got to do so that when you turn up and, you know, do the work that we do, you're in the right place to Mm. do it. So it's about being effective and making sure you're well to be able to do the work that we need to do. So I think it comes down to looking out for each other and talking about, you know, what did you do on the weekend? What what are you doing to recharge your batteries? What are you doing to fill your cup? It's about how you want to show up. Mm. And for me, how I want to show up to my family, to my work, to my friends. So I'm up early at, you know, 20 to 5. I'm getting ready to go for a ride with the boys, challenge myself, watch the sun come up, have a coffee with the boys, have a laugh, come home, the kids are getting up for school and they're off to school. I'm being present in the moment and that's another really, we often think working really, really hard to be able to get the money to go on that holiday. Mm. And it's like you can have a holiday and be present every day, Mm. like cherish those moments so that when my son comes home from school and we're playing basketball, I'm present. I'm looking at his face going, he's never going to be this young again. He's always changing. So for me, it's about leadership and leading by example. Mm. And I think that's really important and having each other's back and looking out for one another and encouraging people, you know, take time out, fill your own cup first. Mm. That's really important because you, if you're constantly out there doing a cleanup or crewing on the front line, and you know you're getting burnt out or others aren't looking after you or you're not looking after yourself, you're going to be no good to anyone. And the other point is you'll probably walk away from Sea Shepherd feeling quite resentful 
that you've sacrificed so much and not enjoyed it. So it's about balance. And we strive for that every day. All of us do, no matter what we do in work or conservation or no matter what age we are, we're always striving for that. And that's really interesting for you to say all that. Also, one thing that always has intrigued me about Sea Shepherd Australia is I guess the commercial risk, like you guys are doing these incredible campaigns and often from the perspective of, I guess, the polluter or the perpetrator of the illegal activity being a pain in the butt. You know, you say it got rid of big oil and you got out of the Gulf and you, you stopped that whaling ship, whatever, but there's some significant commercial interests in keeping the status quo. And one thing that a big bad polluter could do is basically just get you guys just dragged down in some sort of legal drama. So how does Sea Shepherd Australia manage that risk? For example, if you were fighting a Patagonian toothfish fishery doing something illegal and they wanted to take you guys to court for being a pain in the butt, even without any justification, how do you guys manage that risk of that sort of activity bringing the whole organisation down? Well, first point is we don't break laws, we uphold sure, laws. Sure. So so that's definitely the case. And there's been times where people have tried to challenge mm. us legally. Yeah. And if there's any justification, which often there hasn't been, judges have just thrown that out. Right. We also do have, you know, lawyer on our border, Sea Shepherd Australia. Right. We have an advisory panel, which is made up of a number of lawyers in many, many different areas that go, Look, I, I may not donate but I kind of donate my services, mm. my time, my advice. So if we're worried about something that's a bit tricky, we can run that past, you know, free legal counsel. Mm. And in awesome. fact, we've had a legal whole firm in Sydney recently that we spoke to last year that said, what can we do to help? So, that's you know, so there's hear. so much help out there. We just need to, you know, we can tap into it. But also I think perception is a big thing too. And like you mentioned, like taking on big opposition mm. with huge funding yeah. and, you know, and I remember BP were looking at drilling for oil in the bite mm-hmm. and they were given their leases less than six months after their big blowout in the Gulf of Mexico, they were given leases to drill for oil in the Great Australian Bight. Now, I remember meeting, you know, key advisors and, you know, people working on the project from BP and they were asking me all sorts of questions about, you know, well, when our oil rig comes south, what are your ships going to be doing, you know, who should we contact, who should we li- liaise? And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, here I am running the organisation from home. Yeah. And we're not this massive organisation. And I thought, they really think we're this huge organisation, <laughs> you know, with big pockets and funding and resources. And and we had no intentions of bringing ships. Our ships were all tied up in Africa. Mm. And I just sat there and went, well, you know, you've seen our tactics in the Southern Ocean <laughs> and our work tackling illegal fishing and our work, you know, against the Japanese whaling fleet. And like all our campaigns, we like to keep our cards very close to our chest. <laughs> <laughs> BP released their spill modelling, uh, showed that it would impact much of Southern Australia. And then after that, they ceased their plans to drill for oil in the Great Australian Bight. Really? Mm. So you guys really didn't have to do, like you said, you got rid of big oil out of the Gulf, but really it was almost out of intimidation. Is that what I'm hearing? And, and they realised that I mean, they- it was a very long strategic campaign and, and one of the real brains trusts of that was Peter Owen is the director mm. of the Wilderness Society in South Australia. And yep. I met Peter in 2015 and he told me about the bite mm. and what was at risk. And I said, well, you know, how can we help? And because he'd reached out to many of the other big organisations and no one was interested. 
And then he told me about the bite, you know, what's there? Deep sea canyons, updrawing in nutrients, giant squid, orcas, sperm whales, southern right whale nurseries, you know, offshore islands like Pearson, which is on par with the Galapagos mm. where the Wackelman Party's Australian endangered sea lions. And he showed me that, like, they had to commission their own spill modelling because BP wouldn't release that. Really? So we did our expedition with the Steve Irwin. I led that expedition in 2018. We went there in August so we could showcase the southern right whale nursery with the whales there with their mothers and calves where we saw 60 mother and calf pairs sitting there. But we saw that it wasn't just that expedition. It was also the councils getting on board. So Peter and, and other us going out and talking to different councils around the area. And we in the end, we had 22 councils vote against and come out with a stance against BP drilling for oil in the bite. It was an alliance, mm. which meant, you know, we may not agree on everything, but we aligned to agree that we didn't want putting the Great Australian Bite at risk. So that opposition kept growing, the rallies, the support, you know, and that's the thing. You never know what's going to be the thing that mm. gives you that victory, mm. but it's constant chipping away, chipping away, chipping mm. away. And it was, you know, a very successful campaign because then Equinor, which used to be Stat Oil, a big Norwegian oil and gas company pulled out, Chevron pulled out the oil and gases out of the Great Australian Bite, which mm. is an incredible victory. And... And I know that in speaking with Peter Owen, who's been talking with, you know, the head of 350.org, it's, you know, one of the big environmental wins of our time. So it's huge. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And this, yeah. for me, that's the one of the biggest perceptions that people have about Sea Shepherd Australia that I think they get wrong is around there's this perception that there's a, they're just a bunch of going solo pirates, you know, doing their own thing. If they don't like something, they just charge and, and try and do their best to try and stop it or, or remedy it, whatever. But I see a lot of collaboration between your organisation and a bunch of others. You know, obviously Peter Hammerstedt was talking about his collaboration with the various West African country organisations. And obviously you mentioned the Wilderness Society and even just recently with Graham and the Sea Shepherd Australia cleanup up at Grid Island, like, you know, collaborating with CSIRO and a whole bunch of government organisations up there. Well, it's important, isn't yeah. it? Because you're more powerful if you collaborate and work together. Yeah. And when you strip it all back, there's more that unites us and divides us. Like we all want the same things. We want a healthy ecosystem. We want clean air, healthy air, you know, clean water. You know, when we bring our kids into this world and we look up for the first time, the very basic things that they need are clean air, clean water, food and love. There's more that unites us and divides us. So mm. let's work together. Yeah. And when you strip it back and, and talk about it at basic terms like that, it's like, well, of course we want that. Mm. We all want the same things. But obviously you will be criticised for that collaboration as well. Like if you look at, for example, collaborating with a potential a fishery organisation, you know, even though you're trying to fight illegal fishing and they're doing you know, legal fishing, some might say that collaboration is the complete antithesis of what you guys should be doing. So how do you guys manage that? Like when, you, when you're doing the best you can, limited resources, achieving incredible results, but you still get criticised. Yeah, it is hard. And there's, there is many people that believe the world should be black and white, mm. that everyone should be vegan, everyone should be, you know, animal rights kind of person. But the reality is, you know, the world's not like that. Mm. And we need everyone on board. And we're not an animal rights organisation. Mm. Yes, all our ships are vegan. All our merchandise is eco-ethical. Any Sea Shepherd event absolutely is 100% vegan from a kindness perspective and because of the impact 
on the planet. We know all that. But yeah, we've also, we talk with a commercial fishing company mm. who sees what we're doing in the Southern Ocean to tackle illegal fishing. Mm. He's like, wow, you guys are amazing. Mm. And then they funded two cleanups in Arnhem Land, working with Indigenous rangers. And, you know, there was a number of our, I guess, more passionate volunteers that weren't happy about that. And then, you know, they were pretty outraged and thought we'd lost our way and that we were going to be now, you know, endorsing or working with a fishing company. It was like, no, we're still, we haven't changed. Mm. And the marine life in Arnhem Land and the turtles there, they don't care where the money comes from. They just want the beach cleaned. Mm. And so... In the end, there was a petition online calling for the money to be returned. Oh, right. And there was also that petition calling for my immediate resignation oh, wow. from Sea Shepherd. Yeah. And that's not the first time that that's happened. And I thought about it at the time and I thought, well, you know, I spoke with the global board at the time and I said, look, what do you guys want to do? Like, I, I don't care. And they were like, no, the marine life doesn't care. They want the beach clean. This is what we're doing. And I went, okay. So we held the course. But mm. I thought at the time, that if I was made to give the money back, I probably would have resigned from the organisation. Right, right. Yeah, and and the reason is, I believe in pragmatic partnerships. Mm. I believe in I believe that there's so much more that we can do if we work together, because we have very strong views on the left. We can have some very militant views on the left, and we can have those same militant views on the right. Mm. But I think there's a much bigger space in the middle. Mm of collaboration and working together where we can achieve so much more. And to me, that's the space that excites me, just like preaching to the non-converted. And that's what I think, like, as a father, we don't have the luxury of time to be holier than thou all the time. We've got to get some outcomes. We've got to get some runs on the board. We've got to get wins. And we're delivering wins. We're impactful. We're delivering tangible results. And to me, like, I just think, as a father, I'm, I'm worried about where our planet's headed. We've got to deliver big outcomes. And, you know, what's coming down the line with climate and, you know, we're in the sixth extinction right now, it's going to be much bigger than all the world's wars combined of what we've had in the past. World War One, World War Two. we know where we're headed. We know what extinction events have been in the past, especially related to climate and too much carbon dioxide. Previous wars, we didn't argue about whether we worked alongside this person or that person in the trench, <laughs> whether they ate meat or didn't eat meat. We mm. just said, no, let's mm. stand together. There's the enemy and we work together mm. to look after biodiversity, to look after the planet, to fight climate, to stop illegal fishing. Yes, we agree on that. Let's work together. I just think that's what drives me a lot. Yeah. yeah. And look, you're very driven and you do care and you guys do achieve incredible wins. Yeah. But with this looming various environmental crises like Sea Shepherd Australia are obviously doing amazing work already. Are you guys looking to grow or change or somehow evolve? What's the plan sort of moving forward? Yeah, well, I think we do a lot already, but there is definitely plans to grow. The stronger we are in Australia from a campaign base and a donor base, then we can do a lot more globally to fund our global ships like, you know, ideally doing helping to fund illegal fishing campaigns in the South Pacific. That is a big dream. But also, you know, we see like in 2018, we facilitated government science in the bark, in the Great Australian Bight, working with the South Australian parks. And it shows that there actually is a big gap in funding and resource in our parks networks around the country. Mm. So they have 
you know, very much like in Africa, they've got the authority to make the arrests. They don't have the tools. Our parks networks have the experience, the knowledge, the permits, but they often don't have the tools or the funding to do the work. You know, if we can help with funding and resources, potentially boats, tools, but also more volunteer capacity to get out and restore invasive plant species from our offshore islands or other key areas, like there's a big area of growth there that we can really tap into. And once again, that taps into that big scale ecosystem. You know, and when we remove those invasive plant species or res- remove those threats from those habitats, nature just thrives. Mm. And so that's the bit that I'm really excited about next in the next chapter of Sea Shepherd Australia. Right. And how are people best to support this organisation, this movement, or get involved? Well, there's lots of ways. You can mm-hmm. volunteer and, you know, come along to a local store and just, you know, meet some of our volunteers and learn what it's all about, get involved with the beach cleanup. You may have a certain skill, like an IT skill or a graphic artist skill that you can help volunteer as well. You don't need to be right next to a coast or a waterway. There's other ways. But also donate is a big one. Mm. Buy our merchandise, our online store, or our merchandise is eco-ethical. And yeah, the other day I was in a cycling shop and I spoke to a young guy there who was probably 17 working at the counter. And he saw my email address and he goes, oh, Sea Shepherd. Oh, that's that clothing brand. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. They think I should protect sell T-shirts yeah, as well. Yeah. <laughs> and it shows we've got some work to do to spread the word about who we are to the younger. But it's, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely donate. But there's lots of ways. And, and people can get involved by just changing their habits, you yeah. know, eating less meat or going plant-based or using less plastic. You know, there's a lot that people can do mm. every single day. Yeah, um, and, and from the financial perspective, and I've said this before, like there's so many amazing groups and organisations that do incredible work and you can donate too, but in terms of bang for buck, there is no one near Sea Shepherd Australia. Like what you guys do with the limited resources. So if, you, if you've if got a, a spare $10, $20, whatever, I think if you throw it towards these guys, it's going to go far further to better protect our oceans and ultimately humanity than anything that could ever be considered. It's so important what you guys do with Ocean Protect Mm. as well because, you know, being that voice for conservation, being that voice for the natural world is so important. Mm. We need to keep these conversations Mm. going because, you know, when I was a kid, like I felt like a lone wolf wanting nature to be protected Mm. where there's more and more of us out there Mm. now and to make it the new norm to want nature protected, to want to see forests protected. That will become the new norm where we'll look back on, you know, cutting down a, an old growth forest or cutting down native logging, which we should now, mm. like we look on back on the days of slavery or other, mm. you know, big okay. issues. And that's where we're headed. So to keep these conversations going, especially like young people that go, hang on, no, I, there's nothing wrong with me. There's a whole group of people yeah. out there, more empowered people. So the work you do is so important, Brad. Mm. So yeah, keep our ocean protect. Yeah, keep, oh, keep on there. Thanks, Jeff. But look, ultimately, we're almost uh, vitamin D deficient because we're standing in your shadow. But look, it's very kind of you to say, look, Jeff, this has been an amazing chat. It's always lovely to catch up with you. Thank you so much for coming to my humble little boat and having a chat. We can talk about all things. We can talk cycling, veganism, saving the planet, you know, yeah. but I know you're a very busy man. So to give up your time to talk with me today, it's been a real privilege. And the offer of assistance is always there, whether it's just, you know, 
giving you some cash or making you a smoothie. You yeah. know, if you need some help, you just get, let me know, okay? Awesome. No, it's been an honor, Brad. Thanks, mate. <laughs> boom, boom. I shake the room. <laughs> Seriously. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.